Hey everybody, this is Scott Powell. Due to some unforeseen circumstances, Father Peter and I were not available to record a live episode of the podcast, but instead we have an awesome episode from three years ago on the baptism of the Lord, the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord in 2016, same readings that you're going to hear this weekend. Um, We'll be back live next week with a brand new podcast, but until then, keep us in your prayers and we'll see you then. Hello and welcome to the Lanky Guys. We are the word on the hill. We are here and happy that you joined us. Now we are going to do it without fear. This is the Lanky Guys. We are the we are the word on the hill. This is the Lanky Guy. We're the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. <laughs> and I'm Father Peter Musset. It's so hard every week. To We're happy you're here. But Christmas season is over. This is the, well, not yet. Today or this podcast's readings are the official end, correct? Yes. Isn't the baptism of the Lord the last? First Sunday of Easter. I mean, of, of, <laughs> it's the first Sunday of Easter. No, wait, you no, just wait skip ordinary time. No, wait land. a second. Is it the first no, Sunday, Sunday of ordinary, ordinary time? time because on the liturgical calendar, it's still in white. Well, because it is a white feast, but it's ordinary time. So we're really? going to so be wearing green time. the rest of the week. Oh, okay. I okay. Well, that's good to know. I for some reason I thought this was technically still Christmas, but it's not. Christmas ended on Saturday. Well, it's the baptism of the Lord. So what I want or you to, will end on the Saturday. way I want you to think about this from now on. Are Please you ready for it? Instruct me, Father Peter. Yeah, I want you to think about it as you've crossed the Jordan, man. Ooh, and, and Ooh. The, the, the Christmas is on one side of the Jordan. Sorry, the Lord man. is baptized, and we're on the other side of the Jordan. After that, I mean, that's not technically correct, but but I see what you're saying. Both the baptism and the birth happened on the west side of the Jordan. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Just geographically No, no. Speaking. This is the thing. I get you're that, making a metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, on the west side, I don't exactly. want people to think that Jesus was born on the east side of the Jordan or something. No, no, no. See, this is the thing. This is what happens. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. No, it's not. It's real. Okay, sorry. It's real. Try to talk the to me. seasons take place on the other side of the Jordan, and then Jesus goes into the Jordan. Yeah, and comes out the same side. It goes into the same same, so it's a metaphor. Oh, well, let's go what, back to the Exodus. What I'm trying to say. Well, yes, and it's a great metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I was really trying to mess with you on that one, and it just went too far. No, it was, no, uh, but the, but that punchline was worth it when I actually got yeah, to come back. Let's, that was good. Yeah. So. So we're being baptized today, dude. Um, you because know, because we're all in Christ. So we're not actually being baptized today. Let it rain. Okay, that was, Let that was it rain. Thank you for backing off the mic on that. He actually reclined his lazy boy so that his mouth wasn't up against the... That was a good move, by the way. Hey, thanks. I wish I had a video of it. All yeah, right, so yeah. it's the baptism of the Lord, and Let we are... And our Let readings are coming from... The first reading is coming from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. There are a couple options on this week, and we're going to go with the 42 option. Isaiah 42. That is. <laughs> yeah. In case, in case you're wondering. The other option is Isaiah 40. But, you know, this is one of those where I was looking through all the different uh, options. There's, there's an option for almost every reading except the gospel. And all the options are good. Sometimes I'm like, oh, that's a cop-out option. But not this week. They're all good. So whatever you get. But we're doing the first option. So, yeah, I, we bounce around a little bit. But generally on this show, we choose option A because that's what you're probably most likely to hear in Mass. And yep. they're be- usually the better, because, but not this week. Because like the lector, if I have to choose, I mean, if the priest hasn't said anything, the lector's just going with the first one they see. I'm just saying. Oh, I guess there could be cases where the lector doesn't know which one to read. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's oh my. that happens consistently. I in my never life. even thought about that. Yeah. Wow. Well, or then they just choose the one that they like, which I kind of like that too. It adds a little spice to the preaching. Spice it up. All and right. So, so Isaiah forty-two, one through four. You stole it. Six through seven. All right. Fine. Fine. Uh, all the punishment comes in verse five. Okay. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm twenty-nine, verses one through two, uh, three through four, three, and then nine through ten. That's a strange ordering. Order it up. And by the way, we didn't talk about this, but I, I figured we'd talk about Psalm twenty-nine. Is that legit with you? Um, As yeah. opposed to Psalm 104. Um, I, uh, handily enough, did not study either one of the Psalms today. I can't believe it. <laughs> Dude, that hurts I'm a so- little bit inside. Well, you didn't. You- <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing this for a while now. And, yeah, and the I truth... Had a the, sense. The, the, uh, okay, so then our we second... We actually even discussed over text which options we were going to choose. And yeah. I just figured I'd let the Psalm go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. our second reading is Acts 10, 34 to 38, yo. Which is the very end of what might be my favorite story in the New Testament. So, more on that later. Hey, you call, gospel, me, you call me a moron again, and I'm going to get Invincibles on you. Moron in, Incredibles. <laughs> so far, it's been the Invisibles and the Invincibles. <laughs> it's the Incredibles. All right, our gospel is from the Gospel of Luke, chapters 15 through 16, and then jumping no, to no, 20. No, no, chapter 3. What did I say? Verses 15 to 16. <laughs> what did I say? Luke, chapters 15 to 16, <laughs> and then 21 to 22. It's going to be a week. long Sunday, yeah, ladies and one. gentlemen. Ironically, it's an incredibly short gospel this week. So, yeah, <laughs> chapter 3, verses 15, 16, and then 21 through 22. Well, there you go. Okay, see, here's my question for okay, you. Okay, okay, tell me. Give me a question. Um, you know, did did irony just start with punk rockers or hipsters? Was really my question for you. Irony. Irony. Um, neither. Is See, my answer. That that's that's correct. So let's get into <laughs> Isaiah forty-two, uh, one through four, six through seven. That's that's really it. That's all we got. On that. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Isaiah forty-two. This it, is the. It literally was just the question that just popped into my mind right then. Yeah. Did this you is... think it started with one of those two? Well, you know, I was thinking that ironic hipsterism started more recently, but then I thought, gosh, punk rockers did a lot of ironic things. Too. There's irony in the in the Bible, but Isaiah is not. No, he is not. And um and this is um one of the four servant songs. It's in fact the first. It's the first of the four. And, first of the four servant songs. Um which is really which is really pretty cool. Like I I like the servant songs, but they're the, they're the kind of odd mysterious things. Yeah, well, I mean, they are odd and they are mysterious, but what, what the servant songs are essentially doing is, is showing the embodiment of Israel in her true form. And they're also ironic in the sense that they're being given in the time that Israel is probably at its worst moment. So Israel's at its worst in the time of Isaiah, probably. And she's being shown this vision of her at her best and embodied in the form of this one individual who, of course, Jesus is he doesn't just embody he is this servant but um you know th- throughout there the servant is basically this high priest who's going to give himself for the sake of his people back in exodus remember israel was called to be a nation of priests and even just on the on the explicit level they lose their priesthood it's relegated to the levites things kind of fall apart um, instead of being a blessing to the nations like god says to abraham they're going to be they become an eyesore to the nations according to the prophets it, it's a disaster so in this time in isaiah when they're experiencing these this terrible time of awful kings about to go into the exile we're being shown that 
it, it's not even really a future tense. Like we know the fulfillment, we know what's going to happen, but it's Israel being shown the possibilities. Mm. Now Israel doesn't understand at this point how this is going to play itself out. Who is this servant? Is it Israel in general? Is it an individual? What what does this mean? What does it look like? But then you know, but, but the hindsight it, of the Bible is always twenty twenty. Well, and it's easy for us to say, well, the king embodies his people, so it's simultaneously people being embodied in the king. Yes, that's exactly right. And this is a great one. It's um, So it begins, thus says the Lord, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, with whom I am pleased, or in whom I find delight is another translation. Upon whom I have put my spirit. Now ding, that ding, language, ding, 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 That's the spirit, you know, the spirit descending. Uh, this is the baptism of the Lord, so. Well, it is, but be, it, that's, that's how it's ultimately going to be fulfilled, but there's something that precedes it. When so it, the people living in the time of Isaiah who have no idea that God will become a human being and be baptized in the Jordan River by somebody, they already have a context for this. Do you know what it is? I think you do know. Oh, I mean, it's the uh, it's the finality of the Exodus into the Promised Land with the people walking through the um, the Jordan into. Well, take the, the baptism the out ark, of your mind with the ark. Hold on, okay. So hold on. So, so when then, would they have heard? When would they have heard words like "Here is my servant, who with whom I am pleased. I have put my spirit upon him." Moses. That's part. Yeah, that's a part of it. Abraham. They would probably hear these things at the ordinate the uh, the anointing of their kings. Oh. So this is probably the kind of thing that David said to Solomon when he was anointed king and that Solomon said to his son and that all of the kings would say that the kings were God's sons, God's chosen ones. Mm. Upon them his spirit rested. Now, this the, the, the fascinating theology of the Old Testament is that there's all these individuals upon whom God's spirit would literally come to dwell for a temporary period of time. So God's spirit dwells on Saul, it dwells in David, it dwells in the prophets, but not in a permanent way like we all have through the sacrament of baptism. So there's prefigurements of all this. But what the Israelites are hearing here, I think, is a, a royal anointing. That's the la- that's what's being evoked in their oh, yeah. head. Well, They're well, like, oh, I mean- it's a king being anointed. Yeah, if you if you look, I mean, what are the what are the obligations of a king to do? You know, he shall bring forth justice to the nation. So, so it's it's a actually a a, a governance role along with the ability to actually have some sort of ruling and and but judgment on the nations as well. Yeah, but think about what you just said. What does a king do? Governs. Governs whom? His people. Who does he not usually govern? The nations. Right. You govern your own nation. You govern your own kingdom. This is this. And again, this is another reason why it's mysterious. This is about a king who will bring forth justice and govern other nations. Oh, and, and he is he is will establish justice on the earth and the yeah. coastlands. will. Be, so it's actually a universal this kingdom. This is much bigger, you're hearing. And, and there's echoes mm. again. You know, you think of somebody like Solomon who actually had kings and queens and other nations coming to him for justice and for for wisdom and all these things. See, again, there's echoes of this all over the Old Testament, but never do you see a king who rules the earth. You know what I mean? Except in the Old Testament, you know, well, speaking about this. Well, and this is the thing is that you start to look and you 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 have kings oftentimes through history who have get this megalomaniac reality oh, of yeah. saying like I can rule the earth, Caesar Augustus, Adolf well, Hitler, yeah. these these like these it, people who who and, and as soon as you try, you're like, yeah, fail, total fail. Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, Caesar did a pretty good job. Yeah, but he he didn't get to China. No, no, he, he didn't, didn't get rule to the Japan. Whole right. He yeah, didn't get never, to Antarctica. Never has someone 
He didn't get to Antarctica. <laughs> the penguins were waiting. <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't govern Canada or nothing. He didn't govern Canada. No, that's true. There was no Canucks under his guidance. But at the same time, you can make an argument that he governed the vast majority of the known world. But still... It's I mean, not enough. It's yeah, not it the was totality. still pretty pathetic. And but then you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. as far as the quote unquote known world, I mean, who who is knowing what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in in relationship to a Western civilization. So, but the reason why I'm saying that is yeah. to be is that is that we're talking about something so radically expansive, yeah, that, unprecedented, that, and unable to be achieved by any mere human means. Now, if that's not enough, you read on. You're like, okay. How's he going to do this? Well, not through what you'd expect. I mean, as you read on, it says he's going to bring forth this justice to the nations, not crying, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street, a bruised reed, someone weak, he will not break, a smoldering wick, you know, he won't, he won't quench until he establishes justice on the earth and the coastlands, the islands wait for his teaching. How do you expect most leaders to govern, to, to conquer, to stand in the streets, to shout, to yell, to make himself known. Here's this reference to this royal figure who is going to establish justice and have authority over all nations by not crying out, by not shouting, by not making his voice known in the streets. I mean, again, this is this is Irony Sunday, I suppose, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is ironic. This well, is not how you how you govern nations. Well, you know what's ironic about this, though? What? <laughs> is that this is a song that people are singing. Their people are singing. How well, can I how can I keep from singing? Servant song. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, how can I keep from singing? I mean, th- th- just think about it though. I mean, this yeah. is this is actually the campaign song. This is the campaign diddly. But that's the key. Isn't that sort of the key to what Christ does? I mean, I, I'm always fascinated by the fact that when Jesus rises from the dead. I mean, the the most profound thing that anyone has ever done in ever. And he only appears to a handful of folks. He appears to a couple guys, and it's their job to shout in the streets, to go make it known, to be the voice, right? He doesn't actually do it. He makes himself known in a small way, in a limited way. You know what I mean? He didn't just come in a huge cloud and like, everybody listen to me, lightning bolts shooting out. That's what I would do if I were God. Thanks be to God, I'm not God. But you know what I mean? You come close sometimes. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. But isn't that ironic? He is actually, so we don't, I mean, Jesus teaches a lot, but you don't have Jesus well, you do have him standing up making big speeches. He does. He does do that. But it is profoundly most most royal moment, at least spiritually speaking. He's the most quiet. He says the least. You know mm. what I mean? Scattering words and phrases here and there. Well, in his enthronement. Well, yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's what I mean. Which, on which the cross. for those who yeah who don't know, it's the the cross is his enthronement. So, so it's a profound vision. Again, it's one of those things that you're hearing this for the first time. You're like, how can that, how can that be? Who is this person that could actually pull, who could possibly pull off ruling the nations without saying anything? That doesn't make any sense. You know, I mean, we forget how strange these actually are. I mean, you pointed (laughs) out at the beginning how mysterious and weird these are. Yeah. But that's what it's, that's what's being shown. But again, the key to this, which, which, you know, this was a big debate in the early church, who is this for? The fact that it's for all nations is pretty significant. What it, what it says, um, yeah, bringing forth justice. I think, um, here, talk for a second. I, the Lord, have <laughs> called you for justice and have grasped you by the hand. I think that that's actually the other thing is that it's incarnational. I just came from a, 
you know the 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 focus oh, the focus pouring out this SLS was all about incarnational evangelization of of saying like no this is actually a, a totally personal encounter grasp yes. you by my hand yeah people yeah, are yeah. interdigitating left and right man I just didn't even know what to do yeah th- this is there's another translation of this and that's why I got kind of confused by um in some translations it says in, in verse six I have called you in righteousness um which our translation doesn't have it talks about for the victory of justice. But I think being called in righteousness is better uh, because then it goes on to say, I formed you, I've, I've taken you by the hand as a covenant people. Being made righteous, which is a phrase that gets used all over the New Testament, especially by Paul, isn't just being, you know, being good. We're good now. We're righteous. It, it's, it's technical terminology for being brought into the covenant family. If you are made righteous, it means you've formally been adopted as God's sons and daughters. You are a covenant family member. That's what it means to be righteous, as God is righteous. It means you're, you're one of the family. To talk about the foreign pagan nations that way, right. as being made righteous, as being covenant family members, is unheard of. Well, it's not unheard of. But again, there's vast debate about this in the early church. Like, well, are the Gentiles allowed in? Are they not? If they are allowed in... You know, who's who's allowed in? Do they have to do these things? What, you know, what do you do? Right. In the Old Testament, it was circumcision that got you into the covenant. In the New Testament, it's baptism. Right. And it's faith working through baptism that actually gains you access. But that's a key point, I think, for the rest of the readings, too. That's all I got. Boom. Good night, everybody. Now let's... No, no. Let's move on to a psalm I haven't studied. Well, the psalm... Okay, the, the psalm, I think, is fascinating. So it begins by saying, the Lord will bless his people with peace... So again, we, we see this in the first reading, right? The Lord is going to come. He's going to be king. He's going to bring yep. a, a sort of peace, you know, by not shouting, by bringing justice to the nations. He will bring peace. Um, but I, I just want to, you know, irony, I feel like, is the theme that keeps coming up. Because the peace that he's bringing, well, okay, two things. First of all, you think about Jesus having fulfilled all these things, which he did, right? And he is still yes. doing. He is bringing righteousness and justice to the nations. He is blessing his people with peace. But, you know, even in my, in my prayer time this morning, I was, I was reflecting on the utter and sheer peacelessness of the world and how it's just a terrifying time to be alive. It's a terrifying time to be a parent. It's a, you know, there was new, I don't, maybe this will be disproved by the time you guys listen to the podcast, but there was rumors about North Korea setting off a nuclear weapon this morning. Like, I saw what that. is going, I mean, this is, and then you read these and you're like, oh, the Lord's going to bless us with peace and all nations will know justice and da 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 da. And you're like, I'm not seeing it. But here's the, here's the thing. Um, it's saying the Lord will bless his people with peace. The Lord will bless his people with peace, which means not the state of the world and our politics and our economics and our military, everything like that is going to be blessed with peace. It means you and I and everyone else has the possibility of being blessed with peace in and of ourselves. We can know peace. Yep. That's not to say every nation is going to get along with each other. Right. It's to say, no, no, you as an individual are being offered this profound gift of grace. God is not going to perform this magic trick where all of a sudden all the nations are at peace with each other. He's going to work. This is how God works. He works on the individual. This is why a king, a singular person, embodies the rest of his people. He works from the particular to the universal. Right. right? So we are being offered peace. But even in that, one of the things that fascinates me about Psalm 29, uh, I think is it it's either one of the most repeated words or the, yeah, the, the most repeated Hebrew noun in all of Psalm 29 is the word kol, Q-O-L. 
Q-O-L, coal. Which is partly the reason why they do that is because they were really bad in Santa. Um, I, had I to, knew it had was going to be a pun. I can see it in your eyes when you start. <laughs> I know when you're going to say something serious and you're not. Oh cool. Okay. So, so what cool. does Cole mean? Cole means voice. So we hear all over the psalm, but the voice of the Lord, which, you know, translations, language, is, language fails sometimes. And is, voice is it, of the Lord is a weak, lousy translation for something we don't have the capacity to translate correctly. Is this the psalm, uh, I don't have it in front of me, that says, um, um, uh, voice of the Lord rending those oak trees. Shatters stri- the cedars of Lebanon. I always wanted to make Makes a the- microphone prayer so that when you put the <laughs> microphone on at mass, like a vestiture, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the Lord shattering the trees with the <laughs> the microphone. No, it's true. I mean, that, that's what that's what it is. It's a, what is the word? Is, is it an onomatopoeia? Is that, what's, yeah, onomatopoeia, the words that sound, sound like, like they, they are. Just, yeah. So, Coal in Hebrew is a it's a visceral word. I mean it it's it's almost it's scary. It's almost violent in its sound. Coal. And it's the full in Hebrew it's the full guttural coal sound that shatters the cedars of Lebanon. So the voice of the Lord that brings peace is actually a voice that has the capacity to shake trees and mountains to their roots. And this is where, again, this irony of the Lord and what he's doing comes into play. The Lord is bringing peace. The powerful, terrifying, almighty, tree-stripping Lord is bringing peace. And so to look out in the world that's vastly troubled and to see how can I live a certain peace, a real peace, in my heart, in the midst of a loud, crazy, turbulent world, starts to begin to make sense. Because those two things can actually be held in tension with each other. Right. The coal of the Lord. I, anyway, I was fascinated by that point. Again, thinking about our world, thinking about what Jesus is clear that he's offering and doing, and how it doesn't seem to be adding up. But we're talking about a peace in the midst of, in the midst of a world that's, sh- that's shaking, yeah. quite literally. And this is precisely what the psalm is getting at which helps me to begin to make sense out of the world. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense out of the world. Yeah, so that's my thought on that. That's yeah, I don't really have anything other than that, but I thought that was kind of an interesting note. Then let's get uh let's get on to Acts. <laughs> yes, let's. I saw you reaching for some sort of a pun there. <laughs> yeah, I think that if if you're consistently listening to the podcast, you know when um when um when when you don't know what to do else, <laughs> just make fun of the words. Yeah, just like, that's true. You know, like you can always access the word. Sometimes, except just now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thanks for pointing <laughs> so, that. Out. Well, you pointed it out. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're highlighting uh, it. <laughs> it's not Dude, my fault. I was in a conversation over the over SLS, and and at one point somebody pointed something out, and. And then I didn't know what to do because I was like terribly embarrassed. Oh, no. And so then I just kept digging myself oh, deeper no. and deeper and deeper. And and there was there was a sister that I didn't know there, and she had just like these piercing eyes, and she was just looking at me like. And I had like an afro and a waxed mustache, and <laughs> I was like, do. I do. And and it was like, yeah, it was it was just a lot. Did I, you I, did you tell them they just look really tan? Oh, that's a story for another yeah, day. Yeah, <laughs> that's a story for another day. Sorry. You just look really tan. If you guys know the story, then you'll be delighted. Okay, Acts of the Apostles. So I, I mentioned that I think this might be one of my favorite stories. Th- this, well, this is the end of a, one of your favorite stories. Yeah, that's that's what I mean. And we don't actually get the story, but this is I, I, I'm convinced this is the turning point of the New Testament. 
Tell me the story. Jesus is the turning point of all of human history. Right. Right. This is the turning point of the New Testament story. Boom. Because this is the moment, and chapters 9 and 10, really. So, so in chapter 9, um, Saul, or Paul, has been thrown to the ground on the road to Damascus. And he, we know that he's going to be the one who carries the gospel message to the Gentile, to the non-Jewish people. But up until chapter 10, the church, the reality of the church is a Jewish reality. Okay. It is a Jewish church. That's who the apostles are. That's who Jesus was. That's who, that, that is what this is. Yes. And, and remember, the beginning of Acts, there's even a little uh, itinerary of how the gospel is going to spread. There's a table of contents, and Jesus says to the disciples, you're going to be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, then out to the ends of the earth. So we're still in the Jerusalem and Judea stage. Now, I don't think they realize what the next stages are going to look like. But again, up until now, there's no there's no concept that... This is a new church that Jesus is establishing. This is the fulfillment of Jewish prophecies. That's who the believers are. They simply are Jewish people whose Messiah has come. Right. You know what I mean? There's no understanding that, okay, this is a whole new faith now. That, that's, that's not a thing. No. Um, now, what changes that is this. Peter is in a place called Joppa. Remember this story? He's it, up in Joppa, and he's staying with this guy named Sam, Simon the Tanner. Right. And he's up, he's sleeping up on the roof. He's taking a nap before dinner and he sees this vision of, of pigs a, in a blanket. The pigs in a blanket vision, right? The sheet coming down with all these unclean animals and he's told to, to rise and kill and eat them. And he's like, no, that doesn't make any sense. I'm not, I'm not supposed to do this. I ain't ever eaten nothing that's not clean. That's how he said it too. But yeah, he's like, I can't, I can't do that. And then at that moment, so that happens three times because Peter's right. always pretty thick skulled. So as that's happening, as he's trying to make sense out of how God is, seems to be asking him to do something that's against the Jewish law, these guys come to his door and like, hey, we come from this guy named Cornelius up in Caesarea. He had a dream that we need to come and get you and bring you back with us. And he's like, that's weird, but okay. So he okay. goes up. He goes up to Caesarea, meets this Roman centurion named Cornelius, right? He's a centurion a soldier or something. He meets this guy named Cornelius. And um, he begins to preach the gospel to them. And he proclaims the gospel message for the first time to a group of non-Jews. First time that happens. And we're told that while that's happening, the Holy Spirit descends upon these Gentiles and they begin speaking in tongues. And there's all this. Basically, it's a second Pentecost. The descriptors of Pentecost happens again. And Peter and the people who are with him are like, oh, my gosh. The same thing that happened to Pentecost to us is now happening to these guys. Mm. And what's Peter's first reaction? Do you know? Do you know the story? Do you remember this? Yeah, totally, 100%. His reaction is, this is where I love to play with people because this is where it gets a little bit weird. I don't remember. Well, what, what's this Sunday all about, liturgically? Baptism. Yeah. So what does he say when he sees the Holy Spirit descend upon them? Uh, let's baptize you. Let's baptize these guys. Now, what's strange about that, according to Catholic theology? The baptism, uh, the descent of the Holy Spirit is supposed to come after the baptism. Yeah, that's what baptism does. It brings the Holy Spirit. Now it's happened in the opposite. Sometimes Protestants will use this against Catholics. Oh. And be like, look, God doesn't need An Anti-Baptists. Anti yeah, kind of. Um, and, and they're, I mean, they make a good point. The Holy Spirit comes. But, but how we understand this, and how I've always understood this, Peter, again, is embodying the leadership of the church. He's embodying our true ecclesiology, which is the church's job and the pope's job and the job of the bishops is to see what God is doing in the world and respond accordingly. What Peter sees is, oh my gosh, these Gentiles, these they're not Jews at all. They're not part of the covenant. They just received the Holy Spirit like we did at Pentecost. They just had another Pentecost. Right. God is ahead of me. We need to try to catch up to where God is. 
So I almost p- picture Peter like frantically like, uh, I, I guess we should baptize them because they should have been baptized. So let's hurry up and do it because God is two steps ahead of us. So Peter is literally trying to play catch up to where God's grace is, is pushing him. And he even gives this account later on and, and then again at the Council of Jerusalem because people are like, why are you doing this to Gentiles? Why are you eating, drinking with them? Why are you welcoming them into the covenant? That's not cool. And Peter's response, his defense is, look, I'm just doing what God is doing. I'm just do. I'm just trying to follow God's lead. And again, that's great ecclesiology as to what the church doesn't make up doctrine. The church doesn't make up dogma. She works with what God is showing us, right. and that's what Peter's doing. So it's not about when when what happens at baptism. It's nothing about that. It's about the fact that unexpectedly the nations are being brought into this covenant. They're being made righteous, just like Isaiah said they would. Not in this kind of weird, trite, or, or you know, peripheral way, but in a real, literal, their father is Abraham, just like our father is Abraham kind of a way. And right. Peter's like, oh my gosh. And you get the sense even reading on, Peter doesn't necessarily even think this is necessarily, you know, you can tell he's, he might be even frustrated by it. But he's like, who am I? And that's his famous line. He says, who am I to withstand the will of God? Whether we want these people in the covenant or not, this is what God is doing. So we need to respond. And that's and that's a precisely what we're seeing the vision carried out in fulfillment of here, take, kill, and eat, which is yeah. saying um, let the death is going to actually then become the life within the body. Yeah. So here are these litters. He's saying, okay, you know what? I've signified to you that the Holy Spirit is meant for them. Yes. And now what I want you to do is let them die in baptism yeah. and rise again and become part of the body of Christ. Absolutely. So, so and, and that's where this, he, in this reading, it's saying like, okay, don't, you, don't have any partiality because yeah. what's going to happen is that the Spirit is going to bind all of these together. I mean, like, yeah. This th- this is the thing about the the spirit, like <clears throat> you you talk about somebody's spirit, and mm. you're talking about the kind of intimate core of their being, the yeah. fuel of their passion, the kind of expression of their life, and so so what's happening here is that the like it, the uh, these Gentiles, these nations are coming, mm. and the Lord is showing that the core of their life, the spirit that is within them, really is. Um, filled with the passion of the father and so the, yes. this concrete expression and so we're about to get into the gospel now which is going to be this this beautiful part where we're saying what is the descent of the holy spirit it's this it's the actually giving of the full passion for god and the 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 total thrust of what the the life of christ is that's what the holy spirit because the spirit is this um you know, spiration of the love of the father, father, love for the father and love the son for the father and like all that back and forth. No, well, you know what I'm actually going to say? I have another point, but I'm going to save it till after the gospel. Because I think it's it's something I've never thought of until just now. It's kind of a little bit dessert. Sure. Maybe. I don't know if it's a huge point or not, but it's interesting to me. So anyway, the gospel, Luke 3, right? Now, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Now again, we're being for the gospel today. Thank you, Father Peter. We're kind of being thrown in again to the end of a story, which is weird. That's what the readings are kind of doing to us. Okay. Today. Well, it did with Acts, right? And it's yeah. doing it now as well. It's throwing us at the end because it it, it's, it begins by well, saying the people were all filled with expectation. Because you know that the axe is at the root of the tree. Don't I see it in your eyes again? The axe is the fruit. That's yeah. good. No, it's good. 
That was a good one. Okay, so, so what, 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 what do sorry. we see? I'm, well, it's at the end of a story in a certain sense. And Luke is weird because he gives us a very abbreviated version of Jesus' baptism. What it doesn't give you an abbreviated version of is everything that John the Baptist is saying leading up to Jesus' baptism. So where we're thrown in on Sunday is that the people were now filled with expectation, but you don't know why they were filled with expectation. Mm. And this is kind of the irony. They're filled with expectation because John the Baptist has been calling them out pretty intensely. Yes. And like, you brood of vipers. Like, who do you think you are? And, and I mean, this is the thing about John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist, we've talked about this on the show before, and I, we don't have time to get into it, but he is acting like a new Elijah. He's acting like Elijah, right? Which the prophets foretold before the Messiah comes, look for Elijah. And here's and, John the... And then last week we get, hey, are you Elijah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, no. Yeah. And then Jesus later on says, hey, yeah, if you, you have are. ears to hear it... Yes, you are Elijah, which is this point that I think is really important to remember that we have a mission that's right before us and that we do it and we may not understand what the heck it is. Well, that's the story of Acts. That's what Peter's doing in Acts. He's like, I don't know. (laughs) God told me to go with these guys and I went. This is the mission, but I ultimately don't know what this really is actually meaning. Yes. And that's that's where he's, it's like, you don't really know who you are, people. Yeah. And and that if you are serious about following the Lord, you're going to get tasked and the Lord will show you who you are eventually that you may be Elijah. And the task is going to be intense. I mean, because John the Baptist is, is this he's this guy out in the wilderness eating bugs and wearing weird clothes living in tents calling out the most powerful men of his time and the most powerful men in his region right who are all flocking to him to hear every word that he has to say and these are powerful people so the irony of that is is profound yeah and he's like you brood of vipers who do you think you are to, to beg for this repentance you know all, all the stuff and because of those strong powerful harsh sometimes words the people now in our reading this week are all filled with expectation. They're asking in their hearts, they're like, holy cow, is this the Christ? Because he's got words of power, right? Right. And they're like, are you the Christ? And he's like, no, no, no. I'm just baptizing you with water, but one is coming. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie the, the thongs of his sandals, which is what slaves weren't even permitted to do that. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And it, it's assumed with water as well, because <laughs> that's what baptism is. But um, but then, then it... Then we get Jesus. Then Jesus, what well, we jump a little bit, a few verses. And it says, after all the people had been baptized, Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. Again, it's this, going back to the servant songs, isn't it interesting, at least in the chronology that Luke gives you, Jesus appears to go last. After all the people had been baptized. And Jesus was baptized too. Because mm. he puts his people before himself in a, in a profound way. Um, but Which again, he like stands acts. in their... I don't know. I'm just I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> no, no, yeah. But it says then he was praying and heaven was open. The Holy Spirit descended upon him bodily in the form of a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased or in whom I find delight, which is the, a direct quote from Isaiah 42, right? The servant song. This is Jesus's um, anointing as king. He is already king. He is already priest. Right. But this is the moment that's made known publicly and it's being shown. This is also the first time that you see all three persons of the Trinity explicitly present. Right. There's Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, and the voice of God the Father from heaven. All doing these things. Um, showing Jesus in the most unlikely of circumstances, being anointed as king, as priest, and as a prophet. Now, the thing that I was thinking about before, um, that I, I was going to bring up with Acts... So, you know, the Old Testament seems to be clear, because you alluded to this, and so it reminded me of it. The Old Testament seems to be clear that all the nations are going to flock 
to Israel, right? They're going to come to the temple. They're, they're all coming. But the movement that you see in Acts of the Apostles is never people coming. It's always the church going. Mm. Isn't that interesting? They, they don't yes. come to Peter. Peter goes to them. Right. Which is establishing the precedent for what the church is going to be from then on out. Mm. It's not a, it's, I had a teacher who said it's not a come ye gospel, it's a go ye gospel. Right. But so how does that jive with the nations are supposed to flock to Zion and come to, to the new temple? So how is it that we as the church are then supposed to go out? Doesn't it seem like we're doing the, the prophecies backwards unless you realize what Zion is and what the true temple is? And that's what Jesus is establishing in the Gospels. This moment establishes once for all publicly that Jesus now is the king par excellence, the priest, the prophet, the new Zion, the new temple. So what our job is is to go out out to the people so that people can come to Jesus. It's not a hillside in the Middle East anymore. It's the one true God mm, embodied yeah. in, in a person, which you bring to when you go to Dallas or when you go to a nursing home or something, you literally bring Zion to them so that they can flock to him. But our job is to take Zion to the world. I think that that's actually fascinating, which is so beautiful about Mary and going to Mm. visit Elizabeth that that you're already actually seeing this prefigured in how Mary is bringing the gospel and what happens Mm. that their bellies touch as they hug and, and Jesus gives John the Baptist a high High five five. and, and then John Baptist is is commissioned in that moment (laughs) and sanctified in the womb to be able to actually go for this. Yeah. Well, that, I think, is a fitting note to end on. So go out and give the world a high five from Jesus for us. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we'll be back next week. Um, and um, and uh, if you went to, to SLS um, 16, don't okay. be afraid. Just no. go and do it. Seriously, go out. Go out of the world. Like, seriously, you guys, it really is the best. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a moment where Father Michael Mike Schmidt said pray for the person who's going to be in the seat next to you on the bus or the plane and like i did and of course i ended up having this like super long conversation that was like down to the depths with the gal next to me the guy in the seat next to her the girl who's sitting next to me was from the sls he did the same thing it was just like it's just like bam go out and it's like seriously so much more fun than just sitting around playing, you know, Xbox 360, which though it has its place and its time, sure. it's like, no, we do. We go out and that's the best. But the key is that if you open yourself up to it, if you ask God to show you those people and those things or those tasks or those vocations, he's going to do it. So watch out. Yeah. And and then you're going to go from the baptism into total awesomeness. Amen. Booyah. So we'll see you in, we'll see you next week and uh, keep it real. Ordinary time. Boom. The Word on the Hill podcast is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. And you can find the Lanky Guys podcast at lankyguys.org. Thank you so much for listening and we will be back next time.